This is SB Nation Radio. SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. This has been one of the most entertaining right through last weekend. Two weekends of golf that have not included Phil Mickelson, really. And most importantly, Tiger Woods. And just think about this, because we'll get into this in four minutes, but six minutes technically. Tiger Woods, this isn't about golf surviving. This isn't about golf getting by, any even like a stopgap. This is about golf just getting started. And come Memorial, this thing is going to ramp up even more so with the arrival of Tiger Woods. But Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Back to back? Could that be the case? Because here comes Daniel Berger. My goodness, after shooting a 63 yesterday, we thought no way could he bounce back and duplicate that. After winning, thanks to Colin Morikawa missing a putt in the playoff last week, no way could he win two in a row. Is this the summer of Berger? Right now, six under through 17 on 18 with the chance of solely claiming the lead. Berger, answer, and Webb Simpson all at 20 under. Simpson, sixth player in the world right now, has done himself an amazing service. Five under through 15 as his answer, and they're both 20 under overall with the share of the lead. Hatton fell off just by a stroke. He could be right back. All he needs is a birdie. Kepka's in the clubhouse, finished 18 under right now in sole position of seventh place. Michael Thompson still right now tied for eighth. And my goodness, just hold on, please, because we need that top 10 finish to maintain. Sergio Garcia, we talked about him maybe an hour ago. Said, just don't give up on him by any means. He could get hot. Sergio, two off the lead at 19 under. No, I'm serious. Webb Simpson just birdied. I was hoping it would be Daniel Berger at this point. I just needed an American to win this for the big bet to pay off. But Daniel Berger beating out Webb Simpson would be something else to for Berger's second tournament in a row. But there's something bigger happening with the PGA we'll get to next year on the second. This is SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. This is where we stand right now. Webb Simpson in the lead at 21 under. He's through 16. In front of him is Daniel Berger, currently on 18. Also, six under for the day, but one off the lead at 20 under, as is Abraham Answer, who is through 15. Somebody still technically in contention is Joaquin Neiman, who is two off the lead but would need something to happen like a birdie and Webb to bogey in order to force some sort of playoff, and that's assuming that Berger and Answer don't take advantage of that either. So Neiman isn't necessarily out of it, but he's going to need some help. Hatton is still there, by the way. 
Through 15, he's two off the lead. Shot four under so far. Other guys are done, including Sergio Garcia, who put up back-to-back-to-back 65s and finds himself two off the lead. That's a hell of a finish for Garcia. He's going to have a top-five finish, and the consistency factor for him was through the roof after shooting a 71 under on Thursday to where people thought, "Mm, this could be the bad Sergio. You got a rock of consistency for three straight rounds, and that's good enough for what appears to be a top-five finish. Again, Neiman could bounce up, and we'll see. Hatton as well, but Garcia's tied with those two at 19-under. Simpson right now still as he's rounding through 16, trying to pad this lead. He's got two holes left. Just a birdie, you would think, would put that pressure on him. And Neiman just missed a birdie. Oof. Just missed a birdie to fall to 20 under. And that, again, Simpson bogeys. You're talking about a four-way tie. Answer has 16, 17, 18. Berger is on 18, Simpson has 17, 18. Hatton is the only one that truly can control his own destiny. I guess Simpson, if he birdied, uh, it's not going to be seven, if he birdied the next two, it would make it really difficult for Hatton. But it's not wrapped up by any means. You would think through 15, you've got 16, you've got technically... Two and a half holes right now, based on where a second shot is. To finish two under. Now, you're really going to have to keep that momentum going, despite having that one bogey that dropped him out of that lead, that share of the lead. But Berger right now and Answer are the only hope in order to challenge Webb. And Hatton, with a birdie putt on 16, could in fact, again, He's the only one that truly has the ability, I think. Well, answer is a a stroke ahead of him, so I don't want to take that away from him. I should mention that. The way Hatton was playing, which was good enough for the birdie, now we find him through 16 at 20 under. All right, so waiting for some stuff to happen. Just to recap, Webb Simpson at 21 under with a lead. There are three guys in Hatton, answer, and Berger who are 20 under, one shot off. Everybody else is in the clubhouse. Doesn't matter if it's Sergio Garcia at 19, Neiman at 19, Kepka at 18. It wasn't enough. Even Justin Thomas, who had a hell of a round today, turned around, and DeChambeau with the top 10 finish, pretty impressive. But as we speak, there is still enough time for answer through two with two holes left to push this thing. Now, here's what's happened over the last eight days of golf. Four and then four previously last week. Not even from a betting, from a fantasy, not even from that standpoint. More so from just the sport getting a ton of recognition. And I think what's happened here, and we'll chat with Will Gray Coming up at 8.40 Eastern, we'll get his thoughts on it, insight, I should say. But what's happened here is 
I think a lot of people, due to the nature of this summer and being at home and not having much at all to watch from a live sports standpoint, what's happened, oh, Simpson, by the way, is at 22. Now, why didn't this update here? I'm using the PGA. I shouldn't have to rely on the damn ESPN thing that takes forever. So Simpson birdied, as did Hatton. Now you have a two-stroke lead. Simpson over Berger, Hatton, answer all a two-stroke lead over those three. 18 right now we head for Berger and Simpson. Hatton is through 16, answer through 15. That might be enough right there if, in fact, Simpson can get out of here with a birdie. That could do it. He gets out of here with a birdie. Watch out. They just teed off on 18. But without having Tiger Woods, without having Phil Mickelson really contend for anything, the tour has been on full display whether or not they were prepared for it. It turns out that you're getting a lot of great action. This was a weekend in which every golfer who made the cut was destroying this course in a good way. The average sports fan who's struggling for something live to watch and thinks, well, this UFC isn't that bad, and, oh, here's golf, that's not bad. You got two straight weekends of really great, tight finishes, compelling television when it comes to golf. And it's not something that you're going to be jumping up and down out of your seat, but it's definitely something that's going to keep you watching. It's definitely something that's compelling enough that storylines are playing out, and it's more than just a couple of guys whacking sticks out there from old names that are resurfacing, and what a shot by Webb Simpson, an approach shot that is a very makeable birdie putt. But that's what we're getting is an incredible ramp-up to when you actually have the superstar come out, and that's Tiger Woods. It would be a great bonus to get Phil, to get Kepka back up and winning a tournament. Webb Simpson's a pretty big household name, so if he holds on and wins this, it's going to bring back that discussion of a top 10 player and what it means for anybody else who can really challenge Tiger if Tiger's playing at his best now or who Tiger has to challenge in order to kind of get back up there. Yeah, a lot of it's going to center around Woods, and rightfully so, but it's not going to detract or take away. This is one of those rare moments where you have, in sports especially, you have the most popular, the biggest name, and in Tiger Woods' case, it's by a mile, who isn't taking away from the rest of the sport, nor, and this is key here, is the rest of the sport trying to fight this notion that one person is more popular than everybody else. They did that for a little bit. Now it's full-on embrace, and rightfully so, because look at what we've had in front of us for two straight weekends. Wire-to-wire, tight, compelling golf. You had a couple of F-bombs dropped, Rory McIlroy. You had some guys who were not happy with their shots, and due to no fans, this thing has been covered. I bring that up because it's awesome to see how this whole thing has been covered with no fans. I love it. And I hate to keep anybody out, but... Having these golfers mic'd up, having everything that you could hear from reaction to caddy talk to just a back and forth, 
Sapar by Berger, so he'll head into the clubhouse at 20 under, two off the lead. Webb, in fact, trying to push this thing to a three-stroke lead, which would be amazing. If he were to finish eight under today, I mean, ridiculous based on what he did really all three rounds. But this is the warm-up act, and it's awesome. I mean, think about this, where we've all been here before. You get tickets, however, virtual tickets, physical tickets if you're old enough, whatever the case. And it's your favorite band, your favorite group, your favorite MC. It's whoever's coming to town. This is it. Never get to see him. Never get to see her. Could be Dolly Parton. Could be Public Enemy. I don't care. They come to town. He comes to town. She, the act, the individual, the band, the group. Oh, just missed that going in. Now, here's the thing. You have no idea who the opening act is. I think the average sports, not golf, but sports fan approaches this weekend like they approached last weekend, thinking, all right, it's golf, it's on, it's live sports. I'll take a look. I'll take a peek. And the reality is, is if Tiger Woods is there, you're watching because, oh, yeah, I know him. That's right. I I know that face. I know that golfer. I know that name. I know that stroke. I know everything. I know Tiger. It's like Chuck D. It's like Dolly Parton. You know who the main event is. You're riding out, and you'll go miles, 30 miles to drive and see because of great seats, and here you go. So you get there a little early, and you think, well, why not? We're already here. Let's grab a drink or two, go in there, and see what this opening act is all about. The opening act for two straight weeks has been beyond entertaining and has provided us with Right down to the end, as we're looking, this is going to come down to Hatton right down in 18. Whether or not he was prepared for it, such is life. Answer as well has a shot with two holes left. Both of these guys have an opportunity to force a playoff with Webb Simpson. And that's before that, we got a guy missing a putt to hand over Berger, the championship, and then before that, we had Xander miss a putt on 71 to avoid the playoff altogether. It's not that we haven't needed Tiger Woods. I don't want you to take away from anything along those lines. It's that wait until we get Tiger Woods. That's the biggest takeaway for two straight weekends of golf. This thing is gaining momentum by the event, by the tournament. So, when you hit a major, and when you hit Tiger coming back, and he'll be back before major, it's going to shoot through the roof. And the beauty of it is that a lot of average sports fans, just due to the circumstance of not having much to watch or anything to watch, are going to be fully prepared to know and bet the field. You're going to know who Daniel Berger is, Abraham Answer is, Sergio Garcia, if you didn't. And speaking of answer, birdies 17 to now put some pressure on Webb Simpson. One off the lead. If Webb wins, he's moving up to number one on the FedEx Cup. Wasn't enough for Justin Thomas, who is the number two worldwide player right now. But the sport is just getting started. And they really haven't needed much, to be honest with you, outside of just the field going out there. This wasn't Rory McIlroy for two straight weeks 
dominating the field. Oh, setting up some individual matchup. McElroy's cooked after two weeks. Sergio Garcia is probably the bigger storyline now. Daniel Berger, a bigger storyline now than Rory McIlroy. But golf doesn't need Rory right now. That's what we were told for so long when Tiger was just out of commission. Well, golf needs somebody to step up. No, they don't. These two weeks are a perfect example of golf not needing anybody individually to step up in Tiger's absence. It's just go out there. Old advice, I'm sure you used to get if you played basketball at any level. I don't care if you're playing eighth grade or if you're fortunate enough to play Division One. I. I assume nobody who's played pro basketball is listening, but that, my friend, is an amazing accomplishment and salute to that. But let the game come to you is a mantra that a coach would constantly repeat when you're forcing something. And other sports it applies to as well. Let the game come to you. Just let it come to you. Don't force it. Let it come to you. That's what the PGA Tour has done for these past two tournaments. They've let it just come to them. They haven't forced anybody out there. They haven't shoved anybody down our throat. Well, this is it, Rory. Yeah, sure. McElroy's going to get more coverage on average than JT Poston. That's the reality of it. But it hasn't been a make or break week if one or two guys doesn't make the cut at Shander shows. Hey, get me on Twitter. A lot more responses to this ridiculous rotten tomatoes poll that we'll get to coming up at Eric Delash. Let's start with recency bias Two entourage and Oz have horrible seatings. Told you the ridiculous seatings is all done on purpose. We'll get to that next and also talk with Will Gray from the golf channel at eight forty Eastern on the weekend edition of the second level. This is SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Aton Shander. So in my blind rage with what was going on with the wire, I have to thank at Fist of Etiquette here on Twitter. Who because when you look at the actual picture. The first-round matchups are really small, so it's easy to overlook a show or two. And that's why I was tracing the Sopranos back, thinking, all right, well, what was their run where they eventually lost to Chernobyl, which is just a – it's not a slap. It's a closed-fist punch in the nose for anybody who sat through and got such an incredibly high return of investment on the Sopranos. For it to be beat by any show outside of the wire, really, from a drama standpoint. But, and I told you that their first round matchup was against Oz, which was done on purpose. Like, Ali G went up against Mr. Show and some other ridiculous first round matchups. But one thing I overlooked, and again, thanks to At Fist of Etiquette. Westworld's first round matchup was Deadwood. Right there. Everything is invalid. Immediately. Stop everything. This whole thing, it shouldn't even got to the point in which Westworld beat Curb. Westworld beat The Wire. According to Rotten Tomatoes, Westworld is a better show than The Wire, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Deadwood. Which you could argue in respective conversations that Curb Your Enthusiasm is the best 
comedy on, what would you call it? Not network, but cable. Or premium. How about that? There isn't a better comedy on any premium channel. You can make that argument. That Curb Your Enthusiasm with the run, the ratings, the reception, and everything that it's had is the number one, I'm just saying you could argue this, the number one comedy on any premium channel. And I don't care if you throw Showtime, Star, something that you're paying for. It's not network like CBS or ABC. Now, let's move to Deadwood. Deadwood, you can argue, is I don't care if you want to go back to John Wayne, you want to go back to the 60s, whatever period of time you want. Forget premium, I'll just say in general. Deadwood, you can argue, is one of the, if not the best, at least top three, Western-themed television shows you'll find. It's ridiculous how incredibly well-written that show is. The acting, look at the cast across the board. The acting is ridiculous. The movie was good, some closure to it, but if you haven't seen Deadwood, I strongly suggest you go out and watch it and compare it. You're going to start looking at it like, start to compare it to genre, like a movie, for example, Unforgiven. It's on that level And we're talking about a television show. Oh, and then The Wire is what a lot of people will tell you, one if not the best program on television ever. Sopranos, people will give you that as well. But The The Wire, you could talk about it as far as the best ever. Curb as the best comedy on any premium show. And Deadwood, I'll stand by that, top three Western-themed television show. And Westworld now is going to come in and dominate all of that? Really? See, that's what I don't understand is how anybody can make that argument. Shame on me for missing that. Again, I was just blinded by my rage with what happened in Westworld over knock, or toppling the wire. But, yeah, Deadwood, Curb, and the wire. That should tell you everything right there about Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm getting more and more tweets. At Nook RBCFH. Putting the leftovers against True Detective in the first round is some BS. Boy, that's a tough one. I'll say I give it to the leftovers because the difference is the leftovers struggled its first season. They took a break. They had a lot of self-scouting. Right, you hear that from a coach or two after a really bad season. Man, we need a lot of self-scouting here. Abraham answer is on 18. A birdie will force a playoff. So at 835 Eastern, we're awaiting. Webb's in the clubhouse at 22 under. Berger's in there at 20 under. Hatton can still do something technically, but he's out. Answer right now is it, does he have the answer? I'm sorry. I apologize. All right. Well, we'll look at this. It's a pretty long putt right here. Looks to be at least 30, 35 feet with the naked eye. And if answer sinks this putt, we're going into a playoff. Otherwise, Webb wins, and he does. Man, that thing was about three feet short. Webb Simpson is your winner. An American wins the tournament. Daniel Berger with a top five finish. Brooks Kepka with a top ten finish. Michael Thompson, thanks 
to Jeff Schwartz or uh, Shackelford, pardon me, for that advice last night. Top 10 finish. Ryan Palmer with the top 10 finish. This was a hell of a weekend. Hell of a weekend. And Webb Simpson wins it. My goodness. That putt fell just short. Now, Hatton can just play for some sort of seeding here as he has basically the same putt as answer. Gave it a little bit more of a whack, but not enough. Oh, wouldn't have mattered anyway, but still. What a tournament for Webb Simpson. We'll chat with an expert, Will Gray, coming up next. This is SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Just imagine what happens when you add the explosive ingredient of Tiger Woods into the mix. Two straight weeks of amazing golf. It came down to the wire. Webb Simpson takes it. We gave you the numbers before the break. And now we bring in an expert. Will Gray covers all things golf at the Golf Channel, golfchannel.com. You can follow Will on Twitter, at Will Gray, G-R-A-Y-G-C, at Golf Channel as well. Will, Aton Shander, appreciate your time. And my goodness, you talk about an amazing four days of golf following uh, up another four days of golf we had last week. Yeah, Aton, good to be with you. That was definitely uh, a thrilling finish. I know that whenever I play a twilight round, I definitely do not make as many birdies as those guys just did. They were hooping it from everywhere. Uh, it was it was fun to watch, and and as you said, it's certainly been an exciting start to uh, to the PGA Tour resuming its season. Well, the cart fees go down significantly when you hit the twilight rate, right? Absolutely. That's that's usually where the bargain kicks in. I just don't make, you know, five birdies out of six holes like, like Webb Simpson just did. Fair enough. Now, I, I saw he was uh, plus 2,000. I think I saw that before coming into this. Is it truly a shock that when you look at how everything played out for four straight days, Webb Simpson is at the top of this leaderboard? Uh, I don't think it can be considered a shock when he's at the top of any leaderboard right now. He's one of the top ten players in the world, and, and he's about to go up in that world ranking. He's been he's been rock solid for the better part of a year. I mean, I know he missed the cut last week at Colonial, but that was his first missed cut in over a year since last March. He won earlier this year in Phoenix. He lost the playoff uh, in November. He has, I think, six or seven now top three finishes since last June. He has he has been basically a resurgent guy. I mean, he won the 2012 U.S. Open, and he's one of those trademark cases of, of he really struggled when the anchoring band went in with putting, and he has found a way to putt with this arm lock style, and clearly the results are there because he is playing perhaps the best golf of his career. So off of that question and, and how you responded with Webb, are, are we at a point, is two weeks enough to kind of determine any types of trends and who's doing something well, or do we still need some more time? Yeah, I think maybe you go one more week and then you'll start to, to see some trends. Like Ricky Fowler missed the cut at both events. I'm not ready to say that Ricky's in a slump, but if he goes to Travelers and misses the cut, uh, that's going to be concerning, but I think it really helps just the fact that as the tour gets back to resuming play, you've seen a lot of these top guys, they're playing all the events. Each of the top five in the world played last week, played this week. They're going to play next week. So you are starting to get some data points as you try and kind of evaluate who is able to knock off the rust, who might still have some things to work on, even after just a couple weeks of action. 
How about Daniel Berger? I know it was Webb Simpson's day by all means, and he deserves all the credit and accolades, but is there a surprise by you, Will, that a guy comes off a tough win last week, and granted, Morikawa did a lot for that, but still a tough win that he gutted out, and then to see him right back with a top-three finish? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm much more shocked to see Daniel Berger finishing third uh, after last week than I am Webb Simpson finishing first. <laughs> just because, I mean, Berger. I mean, Berger's a good a player, but he did kind of come out of nowhere last week, and we're so used to seeing guys. You know, you you win, and especially for him, it was such a breakthrough. It was his first win since he got hurt, his first victory in, in a couple years. You, you wouldn't at all be surprised if he just you know mails it in or has a couple weeks where he's just kind of you know savoring the victory. But that was not the case. He came out, played really well for four straight rounds. And now he is pushing Tiger Woods' record in terms of the most consecutive rounds under par. He hasn't had a round over par since October. I mean, this guy is really, really playing some great golf. And now the results are starting to to come in accordance with just how well he's been playing. Do you think he can keep that up? I wonder, and and I haven't seen anything come out yet for the next week, assuming that he's going to continue to play and not take a week off. But... Is there is there almost like this Cinderella feel that it's going to run out and, and you know midnight's going to strike? No, is that is that the right? Yes, right. Midnight's going to strike, or I, I you know it's been a while, so I have to make sure I get mine right. Or do you think this is something consistent where he'll be hovering and, and maybe if you get some good value for Berger next week, it's worth taking. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there's going to be a ton of value next week just because we're going back to a place where he's played well. If you remember back a couple years ago, Jordan Spieth had that dramatic hole out from the bunker to win the tournament. Yes. Well, that was in a play. Yeah, that was in a playoff over. You guessed it, Daniel Berger. <laughs> so he has played well at this course before. But he's got the kind of game that you feel like really w- would fit TPC River Highlands. So uh, I think that the numbers might be starting to catch up to Berger, and especially going win T three right out of the gates, he's going to get a lot of attention. Seems like we have a couple of big names that you know hovering, and clearly you can look at the top with Webb winning it. But Sergio Garcia, just uh, moderate, right? Just all consistency for the last three days, three straight sixty fives. Is that something where you think it's just a matter of him getting going, or is there always going to be this fear of it could get rocky for Sergio? Uh, I, I kind of see that as a step in the right direction with him. He's one of those guys where you did you wonder how. Is he going to come out of the break? You know, he's 40 years old now. He's, he's certainly got more golf behind him than in front of him. He, his wife had a, a baby just a couple months ago. So he's been dealing with, you know, newborn insomnia during quarantine. There's a lot of factors that you don't really know how a guy's going to respond right out of the gates. And, and so when you get, you know, not just a great round, it's different if a guy shoots a, a 61 or a 62 versus, as you said, Sergio put together a couple of really good rounds. I think as you look to project down the road, maybe the next few weeks, now he's maybe a guy that I would keep my eye on. I might push him up a little higher on my list than maybe I would have coming into this week, where really he wasn't on my radar at all. Will Gray joining us at Will Gray GC on Twitter. Two guys, two big names, and Justin Thomas right below Webb Simpson overall. Kepka, of course, we know the dangerous every time that he can get something going. If you look at either one of those and were to choose one, who do you think has the most momentum, both with top 10 finishes, going into the next tournament? Uh, I'm going to lean with JT. I, I really like what I've been seeing out of him. I still have a few more questions long-term with Brooks Kepka just because he, he still, I feel like he needs to get things in gear. He struggled coming off the knee injury in the fall. He really hadn't had that much momentum. This is his first uh, you know, high finish since really the Tour Championship 
in August, whereas JT, this is probably the second or third time this season where he hasn't exactly been firing on all cylinders, and he still leaves with a top-10 finish. That's really the trademark of a guy who, who has the great all-around game to contend anywhere. And so you, you wait and you think maybe if he gets to a place where he does have things clicking, whether it's next week at Travelers or, or a couple weeks down the road, I, I think that I'm a little more bullish on Justin Thomas right now, whereas Brooks Kepka, I still want to see him back this up. I want to see a couple top 25s in a row before I'm ready to, to buy some Kepka stock. All right, how about on the flip side? Rory McIlroy and John Rahm, not out of it by any means. They were able to put together double-digit rounds overall under par, but who would you be more concerned about moving forward? Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not exactly concerned about either one. Okay, I would lean that's a little fair. Bit more toward, I, would, I would lean more towards Rahm, though, just to answer your question. I mean, I, I think that, that Rory seems fine. I mean, he was playing really well last week at Colonial until Sunday, and now he comes to a course where he hadn't played since 2009, and he said after the round, basically, now I remember why I skipped this tournament, that this was just a course that, that really hemmed him in off the tee, that it doesn't fit his eye, and now he's going to go back to a course of Travelers where he has had some success. So I, I think he's going to be okay but John Rahm you know he's maybe one of those guys that maybe is is negatively impacted by this this hiatus just because he was playing so well early in the year then he comes out misses the cut at Colonial he's coming over to Heritage this is a course where he had never played so this is a situation where he's only playing this because of how the schedule is playing out so he's not yet up, up to the venues that he's used to playing where he might have three or four successful uh, visits in the past. So uh, there are maybe a few more question marks, but long-term, I'm, I'm not hitting the panic button yet with John Rom. Awesome. And just kind of looking ahead, Will Gray, of course, joining us at Will Gray GC on Twitter. Is there anything that you think will change drastically as a result of Nick Watney testing positive and having to withdraw? Do you think that there will be anything more obvious even if it's just extra precautionary methods, or do you think that there is a legit concern now growing in the tour? Uh, I think that this is going to be a little bit of a wake-up call. You know, talking to some players earlier this week, I think that not only him testing positive, but the fact that he did so in the middle of the week, I think yeah. is going to ring some alarm bells for these guys because there was a sense of you know letting down your guard a little bit once you get on the tournament because you know every player and every caddy had to test negative to be able to play. And so you feel like, okay, I, I should social distance, but maybe I don't have to. But now all of a sudden you realize that that negative test on Monday or Tuesday doesn't guarantee that you're still going to be negative on Thursday or Friday, as was the case with Nick Watney. And so I think that as we go forward in these next couple of weeks, I think that's definitely going to be something where guys are maybe a little bit more on their guard. They're, they're paying a little bit more attention to how they conduct themselves on the course, off the course, you know, do I get takeout or do I go sit down and, and have a beer in the restaurant, that sort of thing. I think that that's where it could can, it can be a factor. Do we know anything, and I, I hate to invade privacy, and I, I'm just trying to figure out if they were able to determine anything specific, maybe even down to contact tracing and, and he could have had it beforehand and came back with a false negative or, as you mentioned, some sort of activity or behavior that was going on post testing negative that first test yeah i don't know that they have they've hammered down exactly where where he got it from i know that they have done some some contact tracing of people he came in contact with whether it's his caddy guys he played with in the opening round he flew over to the hilton head with sergio garcia all those contact tracing tests turned up negative at least uh in the short term so that, that's a good sign but it, it is interesting to see that you know the symptom that, that he had basically went to this this whoop bracelet that he has is kind of a, a souped up fitbit that it, it monitored his respiration in his sleep and gave him an alert that he was 
it, there was an alert where he had more than two breaths per minute, more than he usually does. And so that's what triggered him to say, hey, something's up. I need to get checked out. It wasn't necessarily that he had this huge coughing fit. He woke up Friday morning and, you know, the, the, the bracelet is doing its job and it's knowing that, that something's up in his system. So uh, I, I don't know that they know 100 percent yet where he got it from, but at least in the in the aftermath that the other negative tests in terms of contact tracing, that's definitely a good sign for the PJ Tour. What type of protocol is there? So you come into town, you test negative, you're good to go. What's expected of you? Are, are you mandated in a hotel? Or are you allowed to go out and about? It, I mean, it's, it's not an airtight bubble. That's the thing is that, you know, these guys are independent contractors and the tour realizes that. And so they have some suggested guidelines, let's say, but there are, there's no mandatory behavior you know they it, certainly the first week back at colonial they said they set up four hotels where they said we suggest you stay at one of these four hotels or we feel confident about the the cleaning procedures and and things like that but there are still a lot of guys that are used to renting houses sharing houses with one another bringing in a chef as opposed to going out uh so, so the behaviors are going to be widespread so there's a lot of suggested protocols which goes back to you know keep your distance on the course get takeout from you know when you when you're going out to eat don't sit at the bar things like that but at the end of the day you know there's not a hall monitor watching 156 guys tuesday through sunday at, at a pga tour event and everyone realizes that and so uh you know the tour didn't purport this bubble to be airtight but they kind of wanted to create it to at least limit some of the variables and and keep things as as low as they can, even though it's not going to be 100 percent eliminating the risk. In your opinion, will this impact or severely delay fans being out and about at events? Uh, no, I, I still think that the fan the plan for the fans at the memorial next month is going to be the exception more than the rule. I think that the tour, when it comes to fans, they're going to defer to state and local guidelines, and I think right now especially with the landscape we've got. A lot of places have cases on the rise where you're looking at, at future PGA Tour events that it's not going to be conducive to having fans, even at, at a limited uh, you know amount. We know already that the PGA Championship in early August is going to be without fans. The 3M Open at the end of July is going to be without fans. So right now the Memorial is going to be the, the only one potentially with fans until at the earliest, the middle of August. So I think that this fan-free environment is something that, that players and spectators and, and TV viewers alike need to get used to. Two quick ones, Will, and I appreciate your time tonight, really, especially after a crazy weekend and an insane end. Any early prediction for next week? I mean, I, I think you're looking at another loaded field and another another 20-plus underscore. Oh. I, I think that certainly you want to look at, at anyone at the top, and potentially this is a place where you could get another reason for Jordan Spieth, but but I do think that you could get a, a bounce back from Rory McIlroy, and, and Webb Simpson is another guy that's playing, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to fade him. Given, given this performance, but it does seem like, you know, the PGA Tour through these first couple events, they've made a concerted effort to set things up a little bit easier, get the birdies going, get the happy vibes, and allowing guys to kind of kick off the rust without super penalizing uh, conditions, and I think that's going to continue next week in Connecticut. All right, last one for you, sir. Two straight top ten finishes, right, for Bryson. At some point, people are going to start picking up on drinking Ensure shakes. I mean, it's unbelievable. The guy he's <laughs> eating a ten thousand calorie diet, and, it's like and Michael he's, Phelps. he's hitting four hundred yard. Yeah, he's hitting four hundred yard drives. But the thing is, as we saw this week, and in each of these last two weeks, these are supposed to be the courses that neutralize that. Right. These are the courses that are supposed to take driver out of his hand. What happens when he gets to a place? You know, he gets to Memphis and TPC Southwind at the end of July, where he can just let it rip and go one hundred percent. So it's not only that it's going long; it's going straight. And I think that a lot of that. Uh, is being noticed by his fellow competitors and especially the guys that he played with this week, where it's like, listen, this guy is not 
you know, swinging for the fences and just going 50 yards right or left. He's keeping it on a string, and that bodes well for Brighton uh, going down the line for sure. Awesome stuff, Will. At Will Gray, GC, G-R-A-Y-G-C, at Golf Channel, golfchannel.com. Thank you, sir. Have a great night and be safe. All right. Good talking to you, Aton. This is SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. All right, so tomorrow, back with you, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on the weekday edition. Thanks to Jack producing the last two, John for the first, and busy show tonight. So appreciate you all riding, and especially on Twitter, at Shander Show. A lot of tweets coming in regarding this absurd Rotten Tomatoes, and I see more and more people are quoting it and making it their own, which is great because nobody has defended this. And I appreciate, again, at Fists of Etiquette for allowing me to see an even deeper, just awful insult to anybody who has spent time paying to watch HBO programming. This is not sanctioned, I don't think, by HBO. So it's not like HBO did this. Don't blame HBO. Just blame Rotten Tomatoes. Why would you go to Rotten Tomatoes now to get a review on something you haven't seen when if stuff you have seen... They're telling you is wrong. Have a great night. This is SB Nation Radio. SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Four-way lead at the top, and this thing should be exciting Come Sunday. Now, there was a major storyline in the world of COVID regarding sports with one golfer testing positive, and that was Nick Watley, now self-isolation. Watney, pardon me. There's a lot to this story than simply Nick Watney tested positive for COVID-19. Like there is a lot to every single story of every single person who is now testing positive for this virus as things drastically and rapidly reopen around the country. And because audiences shift over, because you may be new to this program, maybe listening to me during the week, or you only listen to me here and you missed what I said during the week, I'll keep saying it over and over and over again. But the nature of these tests, who is getting them, how sick they are, if, in fact, a 12- to 14-day self-quarantine is enough or more or worse or hospitalizations versus discharges, all these numbers that seem very difficult to get in any of these stories actually play the biggest role and factor in what's going to happen with sports and beyond. As crazy as that may sound, I know the ESPN TV shows want you to listen to Nick Saban and all this other stuff, any coach they can get on there. And I know now the new political rally cry is wearing a mask because when you yell into Twitter with all caps, wear your mask, and it gets retweeted because of the algorithm 53,000 times, I hate to break it to you, but not one of those 53,000 people are walking around not wearing a mask. 
what they are doing most likely is incorrectly wearing it or wearing the wrong type or not addressing the minimal layers of it. And yet still, we're going to see people test positive because everywhere around the world, and again, this is what I continue to hammer home, there isn't a place on the planet that didn't see numbers go up once they reopened. It's just New Zealand was boasting that they rid the virus of the island. They were welcoming people coming back, and guess what happened? It's back. This is SB Nation Radio and SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. So before we hit the big board that actually looks wide open, really trying to count, but I'd say about 30 names are in strong contention right now. Household names to just a name you'd recognize, a surname at least, in Palmer. But a four-way tie at 15 under, and then a bunch of golfers. I mean, really, Corey Connors right now, if you want to look at just how things are listed, is two off, and there are at least 15 names ahead of him. So even looking at, let's just look at, Four strokes off the lead. Five is going to be tough, and that's where Rory McIlroy is. Now, he made the cut, so there's definitely some sort of advancement there. The Matt Kuchar top 20 bid, by the way, is still alive, as is the John Rahm top 20 bid. Both of these guys right now, and Rahm tied for 36, moved up a bunch, hell of a day today, shot five under. Rory, on the other hand, needed this. After a 72 Thursday, needed two days of not consistency, but really good golf. But Kuchar, on the other hand, was just kind of hovering. And yesterday shot a 66, which really helped. Today, of course, was the difference. Staying under par and not blowing up. And right now, when you're that far back, you need to be at least four, maybe five under in order to have a shot at winning it. I just need him to finish top 20. McElroy, we stayed the hell away from this weekend just because he seemed way too inconsistent last week. But the big story is Nick Watney testing positive for COVID-19. And I just have a couple of questions here that don't really, some things don't add up. So if you've seen this story, if you are a medical professional and I do a show each week, I have a column, phillyvoice.com, and it's on my YouTube page, Shander Show as well, where I speak with a medical professional, doctor, each and every week, and we try to get as much going on from a sport and real-life standpoint dealing with the virus. It's all political-free, if you can imagine that, so you're not inundated with wear a mask. It's actually what type of mask, where you should be getting a mask, things along those lines. Also, we have our first of the four-fight parlays about to go down right now. As this one, a little nervous as, as Torres comes in at plus 185. I wanted her to be a little higher, like 220, to fade her. But such is life. We didn't have much to really work around. Nick Watney, and the nature of this test is a little bit off. Not the COVID test, but what happened? 
So, according to the story here, Nick Watney had a whoop device, which is a fitness tracker on his wrist. He wears it on his arm, showing an elevated respiratory rate Friday morning. So, Sergio Garcia and Rory McIlroy, of course, they'd been in contact with him, suggested that he get tested. And that was really how it came down, which is Watney told them he was showing no symptoms at all from the virus, but that the device showed an elevated respiratory rate Friday morning. Well, you can be asymptomatic and not even have, a lot of people actually are not even having anything to the list of symptoms that would indicate being out of breath or you know, running or doing a walk that you're not accustomed to from a length standpoint. So this isn't like some end around where people are now going to start wearing whoop devices to track their respiratory rate. There are a lot of things that can happen to your body that can increase your respiratory rate. And the bigger thing is that Watney is asymptomatic. That Watney showed no symptoms at all from this virus. Otherwise, there would be more of a concern around him as well as he wearing a mask and preventing anybody from getting close to him. So Garcia is quoted saying if he would not have had that whoop or whatever you call it, he would have played and nobody would have noticed. Well, I get that there is this sense of relief right now, and there should be like an exhale of, all right, well, we got it. But my question is, how is he not tested ahead of time? How is this not a routine thing? Friday we're talking about where he got the test. So he withdrew. He's no longer self-isolating locally. He'll do it for at least 10 days. He was in touch with Garcia and Rory. They saw him on the putting green Friday. And both are quoted extensively in this. Garcia and McElroy as far as, you know, the content and all of how Nick is a great dude and he's unbelievable and he's resilient and great. He'll be back in no time. He'll be back in 10 days, 12 days, maybe at the most. Garcia said he traveled with Watney to the tournament Tuesday. They live in Texas in Austin, and Garcia has use of a private plane. And now he says, we got tested when they landed. They were both negative, so it was all good. Then I was surprised to hear that he tested positive three days later. I got my test done yesterday, and I was negative. Okay. Again, a lot going on here. We have no idea what Nick Watney was doing for those three days. We also have no idea if Nick Watney got a false negative back, which has been happening a lot around the country, where people are going to get tested, they come back, it's a false positive or a false negative. The tests are not anywhere near 100% accurate. So Watney could have traveled with it. Watney could have had it well before he was even tested the first time. I know people don't like the idea of that because this is a professional sports league that's testing Nick Watney, but that's the reality of it. There are multiple factors going on here that would not lead to the extreme shut everything down, and clearly the PGA is not doing anything along the lines of that. 
Yes, he had to withdraw. Yes, it's difficult for anybody who catches this to have to sit out two days to two weeks, two days of work, two weeks in life. But much like what's going on in Major League Baseball, we'll have a chat with our pal Scott Miller coming up in 20 minutes. Much like what happened in Philadelphia, or at least the Clearwater organization down there, the building and the people that are working with any players that were rehabbing, these are all asymptomatic cases. These are, and, and here's the thing, the fitness tracker is not a means to catch the COVID-19 in you. That's, they got dumb lucky there. That's what it is. They got dumb lucky with a coincidence that he's wearing something that's tracking his respiratory rate, and it happened to be a little elevated on Friday. Friday when? When they're walking Friday when? When the morning? Like, what's happening Friday where he's saying on that morning showed an elevated respiratory rate? It's not always going to be a correlation to a fever, to coughing, sneezing, respiratory rate increase, whatever it is that somebody happens to have, and then they go get tested. There are plenty more, as we see with the data that's out, and it's not nearly complete, but there are plenty of there are plenty more people, pardon me, who are coming out and getting tested that don't even have that associated with it. So while everybody's looking at, and I know it's the sexy thing to do, like outside the lines and these other ESPN television shows need content because they can't create content on their own, so... They have to just recycle and repurpose the same thing. And while everybody was silent about doing whatever they needed to do for the last couple of weeks for whatever reason, now this thing has repurposed into a, well, let's bring Nick Saban on to tell everybody to wear a mask. Great. It's like retweeting the most obvious of obvious tweets and expecting it to hit a target audience, knowing that it won't hit anybody in that audience, not one person. What we have in the PGA is one guy tested positive, asymptomatic, at home for two days to now and the rest of the tournament, and will be there for the next 10 to 12. 12 to 14 days total. So he'll miss another event. Okay. That's what happens when you're playing and you're back and you're still in a pandemic. But this is manageable, and that's the biggest takeaway here, is that all of this is manageable if you define or maybe change the definition of outbreak and scare and actually positive tests, things like that, which have been somehow shifted into being much worse than anything else And I think a lot of that is because when you read a report about a positive test, especially if it's just a headline that comes in, very rarely, if ever, do you get more than, well, that person is asymptomatic. And that alone should be enough to kind of slow down your reaction that the world is coming to an end. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't wear any type of, at least the right, correct type of PPE. It shouldn't mean 
that you shouldn't still be washing your hands and keeping six to seven feet of social distance and all of these things to avoid getting it because you don't want to be in that very, very small percentage of people who get it and then have to deal with much more complications. But the PGA is a great example of what's happening right now in sports. Japan just opened up their baseball league. They're back. And if you look at no fans until July, now NASCAR has a different idea. We'll get to that coming up. But Japan closed everything down. They reopened, saw some spikes. There was a second wave up in Hokkaido. I mean, this was bad at one point. And then they stopped the spread. They mitigated at the very least. They did their own means and methods of mitigating to the point now where baseball is back. And that Japanese baseball league, I know everybody's big now on the Korean baseball league, but make no mistake, the Japanese baseball league is the second biggest baseball league in the world. And I don't even know if that's close at this point, next to, of course, MLB. Doesn't mean that better baseball can't be played by a team or two. It just means that league is insanely good, insanely deep, and very well recognized and respected around the world when it comes to that sport. But after three-month delay due to the same pandemic that we're dealing with here, Japanese baseball is back. Now, the NFLPA, college football, baseball, the NBA, NHL, are all trying to do what we've been trying to do for the last three months. Figure things out in our own world, our own lives, based on something that is going to change by the day, yet we're locked into making a decision now. It doesn't matter if it's Major League Baseball starting up, if it's your wedding, if it's a bar mitzvah, if it's a christening, whatever it may be. Could be... A family function, it could be a a 75th birthday party, it could be anything along the lines. But the professional sports leagues are doing exactly, the ones that have not been issued anything yet, like as far as an actual game or start time, anything along those lines. Individual sports like PGA, UFC, NASCAR, that doesn't count because these things are going on. But... From the UFC to NASCAR to tennis when it comes back, we now have a pretty good indication of how individual sports are going to handle this. And if you have a case like this with Nick Watney, asymptomatic, tested, Sergio next to him gets tested, he's negative, there is no reason to do anything more than send Watney home and continue moving on. That's it. I'd love to just slam the table and say, my goodness, let's cancel everything, shut everything down. But there is no reason right now to do that. The PGA is not going to do that. NASCAR and other individual sports are not going to do that. Now, speaking of that sport specifically, it's not that they want, it's that they will have butts in the seats and they are hell-bent on that happening. We'll hit that next. Again, Scott Miller is going to join us. Coming up in 14 minutes, I don't think there's much as far as a development or two since the last time we spoke, but now with the Japanese league opening and so much pressure with this sport continuing to ride on it coming back, we'll chat with Scott coming up all here this hour on the weekend edition of the second level. 
This is SB Nation Radio. And SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Aton Shander. Hi, so gathering information here, but I do love Twitter. It looks as if, and I was looking at my guy, Newey Scruggs. At Newey Scruggs, of course, Dallas's finest, friend of the program. Oh, man, this is the worst now when you automatically zoom in and you can't get out of it. But it looks as if Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard is fine after being sucker punched at a restaurant. And this is a sourced article right here. So Tim McManus, man, we should get T-Mac on. He covers the Eagles for ESPN. According to T-Mac, Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard taken to the hospital after being sucker punched at a South Dakota restaurant Friday night, a league source confirmed. He has since returned home and is fine, a source said. Goddard entering his third year. Look, there are a lot of people that believe if a player of Jamal Adams' ilk and initially thought DeAndre Hopkins before he was gone is available, then they could move Zach Ertz because of how good Dallas Goddard is. Man, South Dakota restaurant. He's from Britain. He's from Britain, South Dakota. And you'd have to think that's where he was, right? How many people are in Britain? I'm going to find that right here. It doesn't look like it's a big area as far as people are concerned. 1,324 people. 1,324 people. I can't imagine that there are many people that have come from Britain, South Dakota, that have gone on to play in the NFL, to have that type of stature. Isn't that insane? Who in their right mind is sucker punching one of their own right there? Awful. South Dakota idiots in Britain, and I assume it's Britain because it's the hometown there and there's not really much more. But how bad... The only bad... Other famous person there is Frank Farmer, the governor of South Dakota. What's he famous for? He was just famous for being the governor of South Dakota. So he's not famous. Exactly. Okay. I'm just trying to see NFL players from the actual state. Now, Goddard, well, I guess you can count Vinatieri. But there aren't many that are actually still active right now. With their last year being last year. Four guys played in the league last year that are from South Dakota. Yankton, Parkston, Sioux Falls, Britain. Now, if you want to count Chad Greenway, who's recently out of the league, Mount Vernon for him, Dakota Dunes for Brandon Ware, uh, Dallas Clark, Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls has sent a couple of people. But you know what? Britain, I don't see Britain on here. Anywhere else outside of Dallas Goddard? Who is the moron that said, no, 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 let's get Dallas Goddard? Like, it's such a small town. It's not, I mean, what would you even call that? That's smaller than a town. What's smaller than a town, Jack? 
A village, maybe? Mm, yeah, I guess it could be. What's I'm trying to think. Those are kind of on lateral planes, right? It's one of those towns that you probably drive through when you're trying to get to somewhere and you think, who lives here? Well, I don't even I would bet that it doesn't even have a main street, if you will. It has some rural road that has a post office. Like what's the bare minimum? There's no way that there's I'm sure a feeder school that's somewhere near it. So um, I imagine that Britain isn't big enough to have its own school system that would bring in people from outside. So if anything, it's the opposite, and it's going to be a feeder there. I'm looking at a photo of the downtown Britain, and it shows a gas station, uh, two gas stations. It looks like a golden chick and some silos. Golden chick? Golden chick's one of those like fast food places oh, that you okay, only gotcha. see in small towns. Yep, okay. Because uh, for whatever reason, people won't trust Hardee's. So you have to go like smaller. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's this, the the really, really knockoff version of Chick-fil-A. Ah, gotcha. That's insane, man. I am shocked. Who in their right mind is going to go out and sucker punch Dallas Goddard in Britain, South Dakota? First off, Goddard is a pretty good dude, man. So I can't imagine, especially since it was a sucker punch, that Goddard is going back. My guess is that this is over a woman. That would be my guess. And it's got to be from high school, too, because people in South Dakota probably won't get over the fact that they dated this person in high school. Well, yeah, I, I imagine that he didn't go to college with many of these people. Probably was there and then got the hell out. So at, at that, in, yeah, in its own right, you're, you're looking at something along those lines. This is crazy, man. Absolutely bizarre. All right, Scott Miller is going to join us. Speaking of bizarre, whatever the hell's going on with Major League Baseball, it's not ending anytime soon. So we'll chat with our pal Scott Miller coming up next. Get his thoughts on everything going on from MLB to the Japanese League opening and where we stand with some COVID outbreaks as well. Keep it here, weekend edition of the second level. This is SB Nation Radio and SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. All right, well, what's going on? What's happened? How much progress can we make? Is there anything we can take from Japan opening up, scheduling to play 120 games? That seems like a pipe dream. That seems like a distant memory. 120 games, but we go out to the progressive guest line and bring in, bring back Scott Miller, of course, who covers all things baseball and beyond at Scott Miller BBL. The book, 90% Mental, start there, covers the world of Major League Baseball for Bleacher Report, Sirius XM, MLB Network. He's on Fox Sports San Diego as well. Scott Aton Shander here on SB Nation Radio. Appreciate your time. Hope you and yours are doing well. I know that every time we chat around the, the country, things seem to change for different reasons. So first and foremost, hope everything is well and stable with you and yours. It is. I appreciate you saying that. The same right back at you and to all the listeners. I uh, hope everybody's healthy. And uh, I, I will say for the mental health side of it, uh, 
you know, bringing me on with a little 10th Avenue freeze out. Bruce Springsteen is the way to go. <laughs> That's Jack. That is all Jack right there. So he has an Good ear job, for what's happening. Exactly right. Let, let me start with something new. It's not new here, but it's new on the planet. And I wonder if there is any correlation, if there is any connection, if there is anything that might even be a catalyst with the Japanese League opening, returning, the three-month pandemic slowed everything down. It looks like they'll play 120 games. Is there anything we can take from that that might transfer over to Major League Baseball from either a get-it-done standpoint, Scott, or maybe just a health protocol standpoint? You know, baseball's been watching just like when they started in Korea a month ago or, or a month or so ago. You know, baseball's they've got people watching the health protocols in Korea, in Japan, European soccer teams. I mean, they're paying attention to everything in an effort to try to do what they can do to get get a season in. So I I think health protocol, there there probably is some correlation. You know, unfortunately, I I wish I could say the 120 games they're going to play in Japan uh, would be a correlation. But, you know, I mean, these chuckleheads on our end of the on our side of the ocean, continue to bicker, continue to spat, and I, I remain confident we're going to have a season. But, you know, it's going to be 50 or 60 games, as we've talked about, ad nauseum, it seems like, for the last few weeks. And yeah, now now today, the you know, the latest is that the Players Union uh, says they're going to not answer MLB. They're going to take several days to go over health protocols. So, you know, that, that, that's another delay tactic in, in, in a summer full of them. Right. And, and I wonder, as we just saw, as you know, you mentioned things are happening here as well. The Philadelphia Phillies were it looked like the first documented case of a spring training. And that was in Clearwater spring training facility hit with the virus. And although Major League Baseball is trying desperately to come back, they're still in this period where. They don't, like the PGA, for example, who had a golfer test positive, they don't have to react. They still are in precautionary mode, right? They are, yeah. And people I talked to over the last couple of days, uh, some of my sources say, because the first thing that came up on Friday when, when the Phillies uh, had five players, we don't know who, but you know, minor leaguers were told, and three staff members test positive from the Clearwater site and Toronto Blue Jays at the Dunedin site, you know, first thing that comes up is, oh, my God, is this going to, does this mean that all these, you know, negotiations are going to fall apart and there's not going to be a season? And I'm told that, you know, it's MLB's viewing this more as a, they need to manage this. In other words, on Friday, what happened with the Phillies and the Blue Jays, that's not enough to just shut, you know, put MLB into shutdown mode. They understand and they know the way this pandemic is gone across the country. There are going to be baseball players uh, and staff members and whomever that test positive for the for the pandemic for the COVID nineteen. Um, so it's not a case of oh my god, if two players test positive, everything's off. They're they're looking to. You know, if positive tests, they'll quarantine the players that test positive, keep them away from everybody, and keep going. The only way I think that that it would really cause problems is if, you know, a, a huge wave of positive COVID-19 tests starts to blanket, you know, Major League Baseball. Uh, so, in other words, if, if, if they can keep the numbers down within the sport and manage things, 
then it's still going to remain all systems go, although obviously it's going to remain a moving target for what, you know, however many games they can play. I mean, you know, what if they start playing and, and all of a sudden, you know, Clayton Kershaw is pitching tomorrow for the Dodgers and he tests positive today. You know, well, there are going to be situations like that where teams get last-minute positive tests and they're going to have to quarantine the guys and then they're going to have to juggle the rosters. That's understood. It's just a question of if it can be managed or not. And if we get too many positive tests to the or not part, you know, then that's when you might see things have to shut back down again. But, you know, the other thing I'll say, Aton, is, you know, Florida's a state, talking about moving targets, Florida's a state, you know, that didn't shut down early, and it's one of 20 states currently that's seeing its numbers of positive tests spike. So it's not all that surprising that that Clearwater and Dunedin, you know, that there's some hot spots there right now. Um, you know, and, and that's just the way it's going to go. I mean, remember, if you looked at back in April, New York was horrible. And it was like, oh, my gosh, the Yankees and Mets, they, if, if there is a season, they may have to play down in Florida at their spring training sites and not play in New York. Well, isn't it interesting now how several weeks later, all of a sudden, New York is looking so much better. And now, like the Yankees, they might be, they would play in Yankee Stadium and they would have to stay away from Tampa, their spring training well, site. Yes, but to be fair, it would only take another week or so in order to see yep. data come back from New York, Philadelphia, Boston, areas in the Northeast that may have seen an increase in gatherings with protesters, for example, unlike what right. we have saw down in Memorial Day and other um, destinations for travel to where it would shift back. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if in two weeks you and I are having a conversation in which now the the, the mode is to shift to Vegas or or somewhere in Houston, something like that. Oh, no question. I mean, because remember, the very first plan that leaked when baseball was looking at various scenarios, remember the very first one that leaked was, was have all 30 teams play in Arizona, put them in a bubble in Arizona. Well, Arizona's, you know, positive tests are exploding right now. It's like you, you wouldn't want to go anywhere near Arizona in terms of if you're trying to play, play, put every single one of your teams in one area of the country. So you're right. It changes, and that's, that's the worrisome thing is you just, you know, we don't know. I mean, they, they, they hope to start the season around July 19th, and hopefully for those of us that, you know, for, for for overall for the health of the country, if they can start July 19th, that means things are still doing okay. So hopefully for the health of the country, that can happen. For those of us that love baseball, for those of us that would love to have televised sports back on, um, hopefully it, it gets going. But we also all have to understand that it, baseball could start on July 19th. And, you know, who knows if this dreaded second wave of the virus comes through, like Dr. Fauci and the experts are saying on, say, September 1st, maybe maybe the season then goes July 19th to September 1st, and, and it gets bad again, and we all have to start self-isolating, and the season's over, and we don't even get to the playoffs. Now, that's an extreme example, but that's that's what baseball's really worried about, among other things. You know, they And that's also, by the way, like why most of this, they're trying to look at it to get in and get out and get, get a season played as quick as they can and get out. That's why partly you're, you, the baseball wants no part of extending the playoffs into November. You know, they, they, they want to consolidate everything, play in October, and then be done with it. 
Scott, if the season is canceled, and uh, it's a hypothetical, so you have the benefit of answering this with a hypothetical, what would be the bigger, even if it was a pie chart that came down to 51% to 49%, what would be the bigger reason or the biggest reason you would attribute this cancellation? With everything happening in the backdrop of COVID, would it be truly health concerns and the optics of trying to start this season knowing that two to 10 to 50 players testing positive could derail a lot or even if that is what's presented could it still just come down to money and both sides saying look let's just use the health thing as a reason to push this back to 2021 you know i always go to money and say follow the money but in this case, I'm going to pivot and stick with if the season gets canceled, the two scenarios you laid out, worst-case scenario, I'm going to say it has more to do with the COVID-19 and the health standards. I, I, I really think we heard last week there were a handful of owners that didn't want to play, and, and that's true. Um, because, and, and the reason being, Everybody knows they're going to lose a ton of money this year. And certain small market owners think if they don't play this year, we're, you know they, they'll lose less money than if they play, say, a 50-game season without fans and have to pay their players whatever prorated money they have to pay them. So that's why there are a handful of owners that are thinking that. But multiple sources have told me, the majority of the owners understand they've got to try to get the game on the field because if they don't, then if you go from the last pitch of the Game 7 of the World Series last year to opening day, whenever it is, late March, early April this upcoming year, baseball will have been dark about 17 or 18 months. And that's what owners are looking at it, 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 it it's like the damned if you do damned if you don't the worst case scenario if you go dark your sport goes dark for 17 or 18 months this is already a sport elbowing for position in the sports landscape today a sport that's trying to reconnect and connect with the younger generation um a sport that's average age of its average fan is 57 if you shut down for 17 or 18 months that's a long time for, for people to find other things to do. And you better believe, especially a lot of the young fans, I think, will do that. They'll find other things to do. And so when you start next year again, uh, there's no guarantee that, you know, that, that, that you're not going to have lost a big part of your fan base already. Even if you don't lose a big part of your fan base, you know, we don't even know next April or Mar- March or April how many fans will be interested in showing up at the ballpark or if if many people still be too scared, especially if if a vaccine is new and people don't know what to make of it. So I do think if we don't have a baseball season this year, I I honestly don't believe it'll be everybody hiding behind COVID saying, well, using that as an excuse to just shut it down because they couldn't make economic business agreements. I do think that, if they shut it down because of COVID-19 concerns, it will be legitimate concerns. All right, last one for you, Scott. And, and again, always appreciate it. At Scott Miller BBL, everywhere from Bleacher Report, Turner Sports, Sirius XM, MLB Network, 
Fox Sports San Diego. Again, the book has been out. Make sure you get it if you have it. 90% mental. Has Major League Baseball, last time we spoke, you correctly called Major League Baseball to the carpet about not doing much at all from an optics standpoint to even a root issue standpoint of addressing what's happening beyond COVID. There's a lot of still social and civil unrest going on in this country. Has Major League Baseball, with all the issues and problems that they're going through internally of trying to get back on the field, has there been anything, and if so, has it been enough? You know, I I don't know that we can ever say it's been enough, especially this close uh, to the the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and Breonna Taylor in Louisville. I mean, that's we're not that far out yet. I do think there's a better awareness. Um, a couple things, Aton. One, uh, baseball finally issued a statement. I was disappointed they were the last major league to address anything going on uh, uh, social justice-wise. Um, and I wrote, as you say, I, I call them out with you. I wrote a column about it. The sport of Jackie Robinson ought to be leading the the Black Lives Matter charge and the social justice charge. It shouldn't be pulling up in the rear. To that end, what, to your question, um, baseball finally did issue a statement. Uh, multiple clubs have done have have you know donated to charity. They're trying to do things. Uh, interestingly, and and I think rightfully, the Minnesota Twins yesterday, early yesterday morning, pulled down their statue of their former owner Calvin Griffith uh, from outside Target Field. I don't know how many people know that, but um, Calvin Griffith in an off-the-record moment back in the 70s after he moved the Twins from Washington, D.C. to Minnesota. Uh, he thought he was off the record, and he there's an unbelievable quote, just horrific, saying, talk, telling like a local rotary club in some outstate Minnesota city, whatever it is, that one big reason he moved the Twins out of D.C. to Minnesota is right. because there's not many black people in Minnesota. Oh. So the Twins belatedly, that quote haunted them and him. They yep. pulled down his statue outside. So good for them. So people, I think, are trying things. The black players in the game, you probably saw it. Uh, they issued a uh, – they, they put together a, a very powerful Black Lives Matter video. Yes. The players did. Yes. And, yeah, baseball's t- – they've tweeted that. And, and so good. There is some movement starting. Um, good. I don't know if you can say it's enough, but it's, right. it's it, they're moving in the right direction, and hopefully it continues. Scott, always love chatting with you. Thank you so much. At Scott Miller, BBL, appreciate you. Have a great night. Thank you, Aton. You as well, and the listeners as well. Thank you, sir. We'll wrap the hour next. And it only took one fight. The first fight put together this four-fight parlay of heavy favorites, and... Went against the typical method that we apply here, which is we look for a favorite over minus 220. 230 is usually the cutoff. And who they fight has to be in the plus 200 or higher. And Tesha Torres, Tisha Torres, I apologize, just beat Brianna Van Buren and it wasn't even close. There goes everything else. Down goes the four-fight parlay. Oh.